Hey everybody, this is Parisa. And this is Mike. And you've got it tuned in to the Trial and Error Collective podcast. Uh, we are here with part two of the Role of Music in Cults episode. Um, if you tuned in last time, we talked a bit about the integral role of music in cult psychology, how music creates sense of trust, bonding, and so on. Um, and now we are here with part two, uh, kind of following up on the research side of things. Uh, we have an interview. Mike, if you want to talk about... What are, we, what are yeah. we talking about this episode? Well, we had a special chat with our friend Hannah, who is a musician here in Tucson. And uh, she grew up in the Unification Church, is no longer a member, but still makes music all the time here in Tucson. And uh, her music was very influenced by the church. That was her upbringing. That's where it all started for her. And uh, yeah, it was pretty cool talking to her about that. Totally. Yeah. Excited to bring this episode to you. Um, quick trigger warning. There is mention of violence and abuse in this episode. So just a fair warning there. And mm -hmm. yeah, let's get to it. Here we go. Rock and well, roll. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you. Our great show. Yeah. It <laughs> is great. Highly professional. And uh, yep. Experts in our field. Clearly, yep. We're doing it. Uh, are you aware that you can do uh, backgrounds on Zoom? Yeah. When I was at the beginning of quarantine, I was doing like, um, I was getting people together to do like movie script reading where we acted what? out what? and we did Forrest Gump <laughs> and uh, some people like changed their backgrounds. Like when they were in Vietnam, they changed it. To <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty fun. That's awesome. And like when he's on the, the like sidewalk. When he's jogging? Yeah. When he's jogging, <laughs> they had that background and then he's just like sitting on the bench. They had that background. I have oh, a direct right. oh, chair as my background because it was my idea. I was I was Spielberg. <laughs> Wait, which that background did you have? I just did a director's chair for me. Oh, nice. That sounds Hell really yeah. fun. How many people were in on that? Um, maybe like ten people, like a decent amount. That's awesome. God damn it, I want to do that. <laughs> no, that rules. <laughs> Yeah, we, I guess we can just start, you know, if you want to tell us, like, a little bit about yourself. Um, and, yeah, I guess just kind of um, how you and your family got involved in the Unification Church. Okay, um, so I'm Hannah Young. Um, my parents joined the Moonies slash Unification Church in the 70s. Um, they joined separately. And, um, basically they had a friend that invited them to like a dinner and it was all Moonies <laughs> at the dinner. And, um, it's kind of like this tactic that they call love bombing where they're just super nice to you and invite you over for dinner and you're like, Hey, these people are cool. <laughs> I want to hang out with them. And so, um, that's kind of how my parents joined two separate incidences of uh, being invited to like dinner or something. And all these people were super nice. And basically in a weekend they were brainwashed into this cult. It just happens mm. really quickly. What part of the country? Um, my dad joined in North Carolina and my mom joined in New York. Um, but eventually mm -hmm. they were both in New York, New York City. Gotcha. Interesting. Were they married by the church? Yeah. So they uh, had 
the blessing ceremony, which is where men are on one side of the room and women are on the other. Um, they're dressed up in wedding gowns and tuxes. <laughs> and Sung Myung Moon picks two people on either side and matches them together. And my parents are married this way um, at Madison Square Garden in 1982. Wow. Yeah. So, pretty crazy. Yeah. Surreal. <laughs> totally. Yeah. From the videos I've seen too, it seems like there's like hundreds of people that are in those ceremonies that are <clears throat> all getting married at the same time. Yeah. It's, they try to increase their numbers like every year and um, they kind of will do it um, all at the same time. Like now with like uh, technology, they can like Skype in <laughs> uh, different wow. marriage ceremonies happening simultaneously with other parts in the country. Can they get the um, the blessings through? Through the computer, yeah. You're through the computer, wow. Dang. That's a powerful blessing. But um, yeah, I think... A lot of times they're like matched before. It's still kind of random. Uh, There's like a pre blessing ceremony matching that's a little more informal. Mm -hmm. So they kind of have an idea of who they're going to be set up with. But it's still right. totally at random and just at the will of <laughs> Sung Young Moon, the cult leader. Right. Okay. Can you um, tell us as much? as you know about, um, like, the origins of the cult itself, like, uh, the leader and... Um, well, Sung Young Moon, he grew up practicing Confucianism, I think, in uh, North Korea. And um, he was tortured a little bit and was able to escape to America, um, wow. where he started the... Church. I think he actually started it briefly in Korea and then came to uh, America to start it. And basically, his philosophy is that God told him he's the second coming of Christ or he's the Messiah uh, because Jesus failed his mission by not having a family. That's and a bold so, Sung Young Moon thought that his mission was to make like a holy family by marrying all these people together. And that by doing that, he would create world peace. And um, he thought marrying people of like different, like ethnic origins and country origins would bring about world peace because they'd be forced to love one another. Um, yeah. I like that's, that. It's kind of his philosophy. <laughs> But both of my parents are white. I mean, it wasn't always just two people of ethnic backgrounds. I mean, I guess my mom's Jewish, but yeah. Right. Okay. So what was it like for you, like growing up in it? And like, how do you feel like your life differed from maybe like another kid you were going to school with? Um, it definitely felt like I was living a double life for a little bit. Um, because I was still in public school, and public school was a better representation, I guess, of the secular world than what my church represented. Um, but it kind of, like, normalized a lot of highly unusual things. Like, my dad was a pastor in it for a long time, and so he was kind of, like, up there in the church. And so oh, wow. um, I got to meet like different celebrities that they would pay to give a speech or like endorse Sung Young Moon. Like he, he was a billionaire, so he could just pay anybody to show up at some of the ceremonies. Whoa, like who are some of those people? Um, so I met Coretta Scott King. Damn. And uh, Martin yeah. Luther King III. Wow. And wow. Louis Farrakhan. Wow. And Did you see Liz Fair? Oh, I wish. <laughs> it, uh, uh, I was like... <laughs> Louis, that'd be a weird match with Louis Farrakhan and Liz Fair. 
Uh, I met Dan Warwick. What? What's his face from Growing Pains? He's like a super Christian guy. Uh, uh, let me look him up. I can't think of his name. Kurt Cameron. Ah, uh, uh, nice. Yeah, I met Kurt Cameron. Um, uh, Florence Henderson, the like mom from the Brady Bunch. She was at. Bob Dole. <laughs> I don't know, just like <laughs> random hodgepodge. People. Yeah. Um, George Bush Sr. was pretty close with Sung Young Moon because Sung Young Moon like heavily funded the Republican Party. Wow. There's like Damn. photos of him shaking Nixon's hand. <laughs> right. Crazy. So all of their money came from um, the members. Some of it, I mean, a lot of it did, but they used that money to kind of start new industries. So, um, Sung Moon Moon is actually responsible for bringing like 80% of the sushi market to America. Wow. <laughs> He's like a sushi tycoon. Wow. And so a lot of his fortune came about through that. Um, but he also owned like media publications. He owns the Washington Times. I mean, he's dead now, but um, mm-hmm. in the Washington times he owns like UPI and he owns the Manhattan Center in New York. Uh, Damn. So he's just a rich guy. Right, investing. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And so now uh now that he's dead, where who has the power? So um his family kind of took over and uh, one of his sons has made this like offshoot of the church um, where they worship assault rifles. Right. And they like wear crowns of bullets around their head. Nice. Um, They like interpreted this one passage in the Bible where they're talking about the rod of iron. And so they mm. they think that's a gun. And then one of the other sons, he's actually an arms dealer. He owns an art like car arms or something. And How so convenient. they're all into guns now. It's a weird wow. unexpected term or turn that it took when their dad was talking about world peace. But right. It's funny. That's crazy. When did you kind of start realizing that maybe it's not as peaceful as it seems, or maybe there's something different about it than other religions from, you know, kids you were growing up with? Um, well, they were like, they treated men and women a lot differently. I mean, both the way they treated us both was like really bad, but, um, they taught women to like be subservient to men. And when I was really young. I had this one incident where um, this woman claimed to be like, I think she was saying she was like the reincarnated version of Sung Young's mom who had passed away. And she had the ability to heal people now by hitting them, hitting the bad spirits out of them. Oh and so God. there was like this huge wow. ceremony where, um, People brought all their kids, me and my brother included, to get hit by this woman in front of people to, like, get the bad spirits out of us. And so that was, I mean, she didn't hit us super hard, but it's still, like, so, I don't know. (laughs) You just know that's, like, not right at that age. Even if it's, like, trying to be normalized, you're like, that's pretty weird. (laughs) Right. And and to use that um, moral standing or, I don't know, to take on that role of, like, having some kind of divine righteousness. Yeah. To be able to do it. Yeah. And, like, um, a lot of what was taught was, like, that your bodies are, like, inherently selfish by, like, just having basic human needs, like, the need for sleep, the Mm. need eat 
experiencing pain or pleasure, um, it's like better to experience pain because if you experience pleasure, it's Satan trying to take over your body. <laughs> oh God! Wow. Um, Must not feel like, good. Even at a young age, I was like, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> One time, I fell asleep in church, and my dad was the giving a sermon and said into the microphone in front of the whole church, like, like, Hannah, wake up. Wow. Was that embarrassing? It was pretty fucked up, but I don't know. It's also just, like, a really unique experience that I feel like shaped me. And if you, like, talk to other kids in the church, they're all pretty creative. It, it also, like, it really encouraged creativity. It's unusual for how, like, restrictive it was in other ways. Totally. Since we're going to talk about music too, like, were you allowed to listen to, you know, the radio or just like popular music or what, what was it very like strict, I guess, in your household? No, I mean, I was, I was able to like really listen to or watch whatever I wanted. I remember it being so weird that some of my friends weren't allowed to watch the Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) growing up like that was like an edgy show that was a big one fine um I think part of that too is like a lot of the members who joined were were like artists and musicians and creative people in their youth and so a lot of that naturally crossed over even if they tried to restrict it in religion (laughs) like um the songbook that we sang songs from it was like some of the songs were written by the members and they were like very like folky like bob dylan style (laughs) songs Mm -hmm. um and some of them were like john denver songs and korean traditional songs so it was my favorite part was just how musical the church actually was um it had like i don't know it just really celebrated more than anything that's pretty cool yeah and i think you were telling me before that they would change a lot of the the lyrics to some of the songs do you remember Um, i don't i'd have to look up the songbook i think you can look it up online they still have it um but yeah they would just like sometimes change a lyric or two to be like uh directed at sun young moon instead of like whatever the original period was. Right. That's wild. (laughs) See, like what, you know, is it kind of similar to, you know, like a Christian church where there's like a sermon and then everyone sings afterwards? Or like how did music kind of play that role in in the church? Um, There were like multiple song breaks, actually. Like there'd be like one main part where we're all singing um, but then there might be like another performance and then there's like songs at the end too. So if you ask a lot of the people who grew up in it, like that was like everybody's favorite part was singing. Cause I mean, there were actually really good songs. Even like the hymns are really good and catchy. Like I, mm-hmm. I still would sing them now cause I just think they're good melodies, but <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was just a very musical um, church. Yeah, my mom was uh, in the choir, and it was like a traveling choir. Like they went on tour, <laughs> and wow. they recorded an actual out like album that you can get on vinyl. Nice. <laughs> Wild! I'd love to see that. Yeah. But they were, like, actually touring in, like, a school bus, like, 70s style, (laughs) 70s cult choir style. That's awesome. And singing on the bus, too, Mm -hmm. probably. Yeah. (laughs) Did you ever go on, was this, like, before you were born? Did you ever get to go on any of those tours? This is in the 70s. Ah, gotcha. Okay. And would they also spread the message of Sung Young Moon? Yeah. Yeah, they would, um, they would fundraise and like sell flowers 
and try to just talk to people about the church and then be like, oh, we're having a dinner. Come hang out with us. We'll talk more about it. Right. Um, love bomb. Yeah, love bomb. Totally. Damn. So yeah, wow. I guess... Um, oh, sorry, what were you going to say, Mike? I was just thinking about how I, like it sounds actually kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's hard because everybody was really nice. If I were to like talk to any of the former members that were my friends' parents, like they would be very nice people. Still, obviously fucked up though. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it just makes me think about like you know people like in the '60s and '70s and '80s when people were um, joining. Um, cults like there there are cults popping up around all over the place you can see how like if there was one that didn't have a dark side at all how awesome that would be if they were just like totally benevolent and like spreading like a full-blown movement around yeah yeah what's kind of interesting about like a lot of these cults that kind of spring up around the same time is that there's like weird overlapping like, for a brief time, mm. we lived in on a commune in California. And two of the neighboring communes were, like, two different cults. <laughs> like, I think one was, like, Seventh-day Adventist. And then one was, um, I don't know, maybe Mormon. It's one that you can't, like, drink caffeine or alcohol or any of that stuff. One of those. Right. I remember mm. my mom used to complain because that cult owned like the only grocery store in town and she wasn't able to buy coffee there because they didn't believe in caffeine ah. <laughs> so many <Yeah>. rules <laughs> all and those then, rules overlapping and then my um the church that we went to in dc like the actual building used to be owned by the mormons and um mm. it just had like a lot of weird thing like the architecture of it was really weird like the outside was kind of gothic but inside it had weird um things that didn't make sense like it had secret passageways wow (laughs) um my dad's office had this like this door that looked like a cabinet door and but then you open it up and it's like a, a set of stairs and instead of like going like up it goes like through the rooms and it like uh leads you to this tiny window <laughs> where you can uh, eavesdrop on the room next door oh yeah of course and, oh uh, my god that's <laughs> insane and everybody knew about it but I, we would like all the kids would like oh let's go on the secret path <laughs> and we'd like spy on the adults in the room next door and they'd be like hey get out of there <laughs> Would it be like a like a picture in the room of like a face and then like the eyes would move around <laughs> if you look in the from the other side? I don't know. I mean, they just left it as like exposed because it's like, what are these kids going to find out? They don't care. <laughs> but um, they also, in the basement of it, they had, um, it was like all tiled um, and it kind of sank down almost like it was a pool at one point. And I've talked to, like, other people who are who grew up Mormon, and they said, like, some of the churches have, like, a a pool. They kept it, like, a pool for, like, blessing people. So, mm. Damn. Just weird overlap. Yeah. That's so bizarre. Uh, um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess, so, like, in our, in the last episode, Mike and I did, um, we kind of, we did a lot of research on like the role of what exactly is that music and group singing kind of doing in the role of a cult, you know, um, you know, you hear the term like hive mind or, um, but it seems like, you know, there's a lot of research that shows, you know, singing, um, and that kind of group bonding brings out a, like a lot of trust and faith and things like that. So I guess... Yeah, in your experience, how did you feel when, you know, you would be in that room singing those songs and, you know, did you feel like, I guess, 
consciously, subconsciously, that it was kind of playing any sort of role in particular? Um, I mean, I definitely was having a good time. I think even now, if I were to just go back and sing songs in the group, I'd probably enjoy it. I I mean, even, I was still going, like, when I was an early teenager, and I would try to, like, be like, I'm not going to say this thing that we're all required to say, but I am going to sing. I'd still, like, want to sing the songs. So, I don't know. I think music has a way to connect people, and if it's a good song, people want to sing it. There is, like, a sense of unity when people are all singing together. And I, I think singing has a way of not feeling super oppressive it's almost like a form of expression so maybe Mm. when your whole world is very limited and you don't have a lot of freedom uh, maybe when you're singing finally have freedom to express yourself I don't know I really don't know definitely and I think uh, like mega pop stars and stuff that have arenas and everybody's like uh, singing along at the same time like they probably could get off the stage and just form a cult just because everybody like all of that momentum yeah is, is behind them and nobody even like knows who they are outside of their music right so it's like if somebody wants to start a religious movement they just look at that and they're like oh well that's how you get people to really respond yeah respond and unify and like focus that energy i think there's something about it that uh there's just something like really emotional about it because um like i saw the cure a few years ago and robert smith would start tearing up when he stopped singing and like heard everybody singing his song and that made mm. other people tear up. So it's like almost like a mirror in a way. I don't know. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just interesting how that. It's just an emotional experience. I'm not sure. Right. Love bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So do you feel like um, like your mom being in the choir, was that pretty like inspirational for you? Because I know, you, you know you're a musician now. Like how did that kind of inform your own experience as a musician? Um, yeah, I think to just like set the tone for what I wanted to do, just watching my mom sing and be involved in music. Um, it kind of inspired me to follow that direction. But I, one thing is that she's not a songwriter, and I've always mm. been a songwriter since I was like a little kid. I was always writing songs, or just coming up with melodies. And um, I think that element came from the church because different members would actually write songs and then sing them so it was kind of like that was sort of encouraged in a way Mm -hmm. did you ever write a song that was sung by the church no but i did write a song but the first song i wrote was about nice 
cool. You should, wow. Is that recorded? Can is that something you're gonna release? Or has it been released? Um unreleased currently, but <laughs> I mean it's just like a little jingle. More than anything, I was writing little religious jingles. <laughs> Thirty seconds long. Totally. Yeah. You should release yeah. that. <laughs> This podcast could be the debut or something. Yeah. yeah. Here, here first. <laughs> here, here, here first. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm curious what those other songs sounded like, too, from this. Other, were they kind of, were the lyrics kind of just praise for the leader? Were they kind of just, like, did it kind of range between, like, talking about the beliefs or being a little bit more vague or? They were more, like, almost, like, hippie songs, like, folk songs. Really, and then they might change a lyric or two to apply it to the church, um, or they might just have like one lyric that's like, "Oh, and God," <laughs> <laughs> or like when they sing about, if they use the word "you," they might just capitalize it, so it's implied that it's about God. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I see. But nice. no, they were like. Just straight up folk song. Yeah. Well, the two two big names that come to mind for me, um, George Harrison and Bob Marley both were always writing religious songs and they did the opposite. Like their uh producers and record labels were pressuring them to change their religious songs into just regular love songs. Yeah. So that they'd be more accessible. But obviously once George Harrison went solo, he it was like all religious music. Yeah. Basically. But Bob Marley, too. He was super Rastafari. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Totally. Good point. I think that's super interesting, too, because I feel like when people, you know, when they have an assumption about a cult, they think it's very, like, you know, I don't know, no creativity, like, no free thinking, no. But I think that's kind of the the big, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but. Um, misconception yeah it's 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 actually quite the opposite um which i think would surprise a lot of people to think that you know you could write your own songs you could listen you know and i think that's probably what made you feel even more could make people feel even more comfortable within that setting because they think they have the same freedom that maybe anyone else does yeah i'd say so i mean it it's really interesting how they really did encourage expression um like even when i was a teenager and some of the other kids who are teenagers we weren't we were allowed to dye our hair and like a little different like dress a little different as long as like our devotion was clear Mm -hmm. so yeah i i don't know they really did encourage artistry and um sangum like a ballet company and for some of the big ceremonies they put on like a whole production with like the choir the ballet um obviously they had famous people come out to perform too it wasn't it wasn't boring (laughs) it was definitely weird Mm -hmm. but it wasn't boring (laughs) Um, were there certain artists or certain types of music that uh, were banned or that you guys weren't allowed to listen to? No. Um, there was some like backlash against Whitney Houston <laughs> because she oh. was supposed to perform at a marriage blessing and she backed oh, out wow. last minute. So there oh, was so some that, like, weird backlash. Um, they were just mad at her. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. But, and then maybe Madonna, I think Madonna and Michael Jackson, they kind of felt weird, weird about because they were hyper-sexual at that time. Mm. Um, and then Madonna's brother, I think, was a Moody for a long time. So she wow. spoke out a lot about church. Oh, wow. Crazy. I didn't realize they would have musicians play at like the... So would they play at, like, the weddings and things, too? Yeah, I mean, they would be at, like, stadiums. And, like, my parents got 
married at Madison Square Garden. So it was like an arena rock tour <laughs> cult style. <laughs> Honestly, totally. it sounds like a pretty sweet wedding experience. Like if it's <laughs> yeah, it's just at an arena, and then some superstar gets up and plays at your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know if there was what singer played at um, your parents' wedding? I don't know. I I don't know. That was the first major one, so maybe they didn't have that yet. Uh, yeah, but um, they just definitely tried to like outdo themselves every year totally Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting too how this kind of goes from grassroots you know like the image of your mom on like touring on a school bus and then all the way up to like mega superstars like Whitney Houston gonna play you know it's it's kind of crazy how there's this huge range of this small folksy thing and then mega stadium rooms yeah I mean I think it's just money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that Sun Young Moon just tricked a bunch of confused 20-somethings out of their money. And it's like, well, I have all this money now. Let me do something fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do what Jesus failed to do with all this cash. Which is rock and roll. <laughs> Play some rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm... I used to be like kind of bitter about it, but now I'm just like this. This Korean guy escaped North Korea and <laughs> became a billionaire by tricking a bunch of rich white kids out of their money <laughs> and <laughs> trying to teach them to not be racist. Right? Yeah. I mean, if by like American capitalist standards, he's a complete success. Yeah. Yeah. Which is exactly. Yeah. Kind of disturbing, but. Totally. Yeah. So I guess, um, yeah, what was your, yeah, if you want to tell us about your experience when you started to leave the church and, um, yeah, how that all kind of went down. Um, it was more natural than waking up one day and realizing, like, I don't want to be in the church anymore. It was like, I was going to high school. I was playing music more. Um, I was hanging out with the bad kids. <laughs> and um, I think because of how I was raised that I had this weird conviction that I was meant to do something else other than get married. Um, because they encouraged creativity and they did encourage it in a weird way you wouldn't expect in a cult so I just felt like that life wasn't right for me and I didn't know how to go about it other than start hanging out with bad kids at my high school (laughs) and as you would yeah I had like secret boyfriends and like I wasn't allowed to date at all but I just did it anyway and um, it's probably, like, the worst thing you can do is have a boyfriend before marriage. So I mm-hmm. think knowing that I had already done that, I was like, well, I'm already sacrilegious in the eyes of them if they were to find out I have a boyfriend. So I just didn't see the point of staying in it anymore. And then also at that time, my dad was kind of getting disillusioned with the church. Um he was the pastor there for a long time. And then some stuff happened where he kind of got pushed out of his role. And mm-hmm. so that was all kind of happening simultaneously where he was getting a little disillusioned and I was as well. And so a lot of my leaving the church looked more like any other religious family that has the expectation that their child is going to have an arranged marriage. (laughs) So, like, I relate a lot to, like, some people in, like, the, who are Muslim or Indian or Pakistan who have, like, arranged marriages through their families. That's, like, a practice. Some of my friends, that was their 
upbringing where they were expected to have an arranged marriage that way. And so we had like similar dilemmas of having secret boyfriends and not wanting our parents to find out and feeling conflicted about not wanting to upset our family, but also wanting to be true to ourselves. And some of my friends in the church and outside of the church who had that upbringing ended up choosing to have an arranged marriage, and it worked out for them. Like, even my parents, they had an arranged marriage, and they're still married. So I think it's just really a personal choice in the end, even if it doesn't seem that way. If you just go into it with the, both of you, like, have the commitment to love one another in this capacity, I think it could work. Potentially. So they don't, they don't have any um, type of, like, they don't have any program or way to try and keep you from leaving the Unification Church. It's just, like, if you want to stop being part of it, it's it's fine. I mean, there's, like, guilt and isolation from, like, your social circle or ostracization. Mm. Right. So, like, some kids who grew up in it, um, they also went to the Unification Church school. So their whole social world was just this church. And so they had a harder time leaving than I did, I'd say, because I was exposed to, you know, high school, public school, and I had connections to the outside world. So it wasn't as isolating to be removed from the church. Mm. It wasn't like a formal thing, but it was like, if the members like found out you had a boyfriend or were dating or had sex before marriage, it was like adults gossiping about teenagers and it was was really uncomfortable and you weren't welcome essentially Hmm. was it like they would sit you down and have like a meeting and like talking to your pastor or whatever um i'm sure that was the case for some kids that were very much like publicly going against the rules and not like I, I hit it pretty well but other kids didn't honestly like the biggest punishment was just the guilt that they put on you like I had one Sunday school teacher that told us if we ever had sex before marriage our soul would shrivel up like a raisin oh my gosh <laughs> it's like really intense <sighs> guilt about very uh, natural totally. things. So it was, I don't know that they had to physically do much. It was all like psychological. Yeah. Right. Which is, yeah, definitely just as heavy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, so Mike was telling me too that, so after um, you left the Unification Church, you um, then kind of got interested in the oneness movement. Is that right? Yeah, that was an accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, at that time, I was just kind of like hanging out with friends, doing drugs, not anything, just like pot and shrooms and stuff, but um, just partying more. And I got into like some hippie shit. <laughs> And my friend calls me up and she's like, hey, do you want to get your third eye open? And I was like, oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) I'm into that. I'm a teenager who's into that stuff. And um, she's like, okay, cool. Um, Meet me at this guy's house. He, like, just got back from India and he does this really trippy meditation. And I'm like, okay, that sounds fun. And it's almost like identical to how my parents joined up mm-hmm. with a friend reaching out. And I was like, hey, come to this person's house. There's this cool thing happening. Oh, no, the love bomb. 
Yeah. <laughs> Not the love bomb. Yeah. So we go to this guy's house and he just kind of explains what he's going to do. He has this ability to heal through a meditation style called Diksha, which is essentially like Reiki, I guess, where mm-hmm. like you're meditating and then he kind of comes around and covers his hands over you. And by doing that, he's able to like open up your third eye something. And um, Sounds legit. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is pretty relaxing. And I had this like boundary. I was like, if he doesn't ask me for money, I don't see the harm in it. You know, that was always like my rule is if they're not asking me for money and we're just kind of sitting around in a room meditating and everybody seems very nice then I don't really see how it couldn't be beneficial at least you know um but I always kind of was suspicious of it but then uh, me and Doug the guy who was doing this healing Um, We just became friends and like we would talk on the phone a lot and I don't know if that was like a recruiting tactic, but I just felt like he was my friend. I, uh, I was like 19 or something and I had just moved into a new place and I was feeling a little lost and at one point I was like short a few hundred dollars on my rent. And he just gave me the money. And I was like, this guy can't be a cult leader. He <laughs> Or involved in a cult. He just gave me money. <laughs> um, so I ended up going on a retreat with him to Pittsburgh. And we went to this guy's house and did more of like the meditation stuff. And it was kind of peaceful. We just meditated. We made Indian food. But a couple of the members there were former Moonies who I knew. Oh, wow. Like, they were friends of my parents. Wow. And this was, like, a separate thing that I joined up with that a friend from high school asked me to join. It had nothing to do with my parents. And so that kind of, like, set some alarm bells off in my head. Wow. And um, after that, I just completely uh, got away from it and lost touch with, I think I'm still his Facebook friend and he's definitely like, I think he's in India, (laughs) but yeah, I just, I don't know. It was. So that, that's what made you suspicious suddenly is seeing the, the Moonies there. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. Dang. Yeah. We were reading how, um, yeah, like once you're in a cult, you, you're very susceptible to like, get into another one again so yeah crazy yeah, that's very true and i think like my parents now they're not involved with the cult anymore but they're like trump supporters to like a fanatical degree that feels very cult like i know yeah. i was gonna ask you about that actually like it's uh it, it from your point of view the the trump supporters kind of feel a little culty oh yeah even like before trump like during the two-party movement my parents were involved with that it's like circular thinking where like you can't even like present arguments in their favor Mm -hmm. um they just kind of find a way to justify small worldview right and like rationalizing the, the negative things that he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like he can do no wrong. It's really creepy. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's crazy how that that same mentality can be transferred from whether it's a cult or just like another political figure or famous person. It's like still very applicable all the way through. Yeah, totally. What's sad about this cult they joined up with not as creative yeah <laughs> yeah i don't really know any trump songs or 
Yeah, artists are like actively <laughs> avoiding him. I know. <laughs> Unless you like like three doors down or something, but <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, maybe to balance things out politically, we should point out the uh, the cult surrounding Bernie Sanders. I love Bernie, but I think that it's like kind of the same. Uh, well, it's not the same. I wouldn't say it's the same, but there's definitely some cults there. I mean, the Bernie Bros. The Bernie Bros turned me off to Bernie for a long time, even though they I turned agreed a lot of people him. off. Yeah, I agreed with them on everything. <laughs> I was yeah, like, I don't see Bernie. Yeah, this is getting a little culty. I think I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that kind of goes for so many of like my favorite bands too, where it's like, even though they're my favorite band, I almost don't even want to say it because the fan base is like so annoying and obnoxious that it's like, I don't want to be associated with that, even though I love this band. <laughs> you yeah, know? totally. Yeah, yeah. once anything posse. becomes popular, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got to step one step ahead of the curb. <laughs> cool well i guess um thought it'd be cool if we could end off like i guess just talking more about um yeah like where you are now and your music now and you know just kind of recapping how this whole experience has informed your creative process and how you've detached from it as well um yeah i i put out an album a couple of years ago called heavenly sister which I mean, it's like a religious term, but it was specifically referring to how people address each other in the church, like Heavenly Brother, Heavenly Sister, Sung Ming Moon was Heavenly Father. Mm. Um, And some of my songs on there are talking about the cult and like being in relationships with coming out of the expectation that I was going to have an arranged marriage and the fear surrounding that. But now my songs aren't as influenced by that anymore. I feel like that life so long ago, it feels like it happened to another person at this point. Mm. Um, Well, a lot of my inspiration, I think, does still come from the early origins of the church. Just like I still like the Beatles and I like Torch songs and I like that era of music where a lot of the songs that were put in our songbook came from. Mm. And I think that's just how I'm always going to write songs. It's kind of in that style. Um, But I don't really think about the church's influence anymore as far as songwriting goes. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have its grasp on me (laughs) like it used to. But, you know, I do get scared that one could fall into another cult, whether it's political or social or I think like even in music communities, there can be a cult mentality. Like there's like definitely cliques and stuff and somebody like leads the group in a way and Mm. is always really like more popular band or person and there can be like creepy devotion to it that I don't really like. So I don't know. I just kind of try to do my own thing. Have you seen that happen before in anywhere that you've lived where uh, people, the musicians in town start rallying around a, a person or a band? I think it's happened in like every town I've lived, especially if it's like a popular band from there. Like, um, like in Portland, it like almost everybody at one point played in jo- Brian Jonestown Massacre. <laughs> but right. then like people who played mm-hmm. in it, like they would be really popular, be like, oh, that guy's from Brian Jonestown Massacre. <laughs> Which is ironically named after a cult. Right. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. Circle. And like the Dandy Warhols were really popular there. Um, so like just being associated with them in any capacity earns you like popularity points. At least it did when I lived there. I don't know if it did now. Mm -hmm. Here, I don't, I don't know that we have that. We definitely have like people who are more popular. And like, if you hear that somebody played with them, uh, it's like, Oh, you played with so-and-so. But like, if you said that in any other city, they'd be like, who? 
Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. Popular local, for Tucson standards. Yeah. Right, exactly. The local fame is in such a contained bubble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's all kind of like a larger conversation about power dynamics and the influence that'll have on a person, you know? Yeah. Um, like, whether it's a cult or just a musician, when it's like, well, you have all of this fame and you have access to all these tools like you know if it is music or whatever like to get through to people like how are you going to use that that power and then it's similar to a cold it seems like you know and for example if a musician you know something comes out about a musician they've done something really horrible but people will still be like well but they can just get so brainwashed by like well they were such a good person to me or you know right yeah, it's a lot of times the cult mentality mimics the like abusive gaslighting <laughs> you see when any other person is like abusive and has people in their control. Like I think we've seen that happen with a few popular musicians and tattoo artists in town who have recently been called mm-hmm. out for their abuse. And there's definitely people coming in to support them. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you have any, know of any like good, um, yeah, I guess like resources or advice if anyone's listening and they think maybe their loved one is in a cult or, um, anything to kind of help get out of these sort of situations? Um, I think like Steve Hassan, I think he is a former member of the Unification Church. He's put out some like books on. Um... Yeah, I actually mentioned him oh, in really? the last in part one very briefly. I think I, I watched. I think he did an interview on Joe Rogan. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I saw him. But I think he's put out some books. Um, but ultimately, like if a family member is involved in a cult, like you need to get therapy for you because it's like traumatic for you to witness that because it kind of like steals their identity in a way and they might not come out of it and it's really hard I mean it's it's terrible it's like a virus that takes over um but it's not impossible people do come out of it and maybe they just need to come out of it in their own way what my grandma did when my mom joined the church is um, my, my mom had like a full ride to school, to college, and she gave it all up to join the cult. So my grandma went to college instead <laughs> and got a degree and wrote a paper on the Unification Church. Wow. And like interviewed my mom and all of her friends. And that was like her way of connecting with my mom after losing her was trying to be non-judgmental but informed and by doing that she was like welcomed in the community and was able to like maintain a relationship with my mom when like so many other parents were being ostracized by their kids right wow wow so that's awesome instead of completely disowning her yeah she tried to like understand yeah i mean my grandma amazing now is very vocal about her feelings, <laughs> but at the time she had to like just be kind of neutral and safe. And I think that's probably the tactic if you still want to have a relationship with your family or friends involved in the cult. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah, if you have that paper, I'd love to maybe like link that. Um, yeah, I mean it's all typed up because it was like. The 70s or 80s when my grandma wrote them. Yeah. I could reach out to her and see if she has like a digital copy. That would be um, awesome. So then, what, what was she going to school for? Behavioral science. Gotcha. She wanted to figure out why people <laughs> join a cult. Right. Yeah, still a relevant question. <laughs> she was like retired when she got her degree. She's like, damn, fuck good it. for her. <laughs> Hell yeah, Grandma. <laughs> Love it. 
Cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Any l- less words of wisdom? Uh, <laughs> it's important to know, like, anybody can join a cult. It has nothing to do with, like, how smart they are or mm. even their personal convictions. Like, I've seen super liberal people become Proud Boys <laughs> overnight. I don't know. I think how how I feel about it is it's almost like a disease and it's not the person's fault. They can still cause harm by being associated with the cult, of course, but like it's not just like these people are good and these people are bad. It's that they've been brainwashed. Yeah, it's just part of human nature. Maybe yeah, yeah. It, it's like that certain time in your life when you're more susceptible to you know you want to belong to some something maybe like that core need to just belong to a community Mm -hmm. to be understood and right yeah especially when you perceive like a um like this society falling apart which i think in the 60s and the 70s a lot of people younger people were seeing like lots of things wrong with uh, American society. And then here with these solutions, supposed solutions presented to them, like if you just join us, we're going to make everything better. Yeah. We're going to stop war. We're going to spread love throughout the world. It's just like, who wouldn't want to try to do that? Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. And here we are again. We're seeing more of it now. Yeah, exactly. It it uh, connects to Trump too, because it's like for so long we've it's like decade after decade we've just been sitting back and helplessly watching politicians like ruin one thing after another, like the environment, mm-hmm. like the middle class is like disappearing, like all these things, and then supposedly this guy Trump shows up to like fix, drain the swamp, and fix everything because he's not a politician. And you're like, logically, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, he's not a politician. He's not one of the guys that's ruining this stuff. Let's join this cult. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, here we are again. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your story. And I know it's probably, like, incredibly vulnerable but i think that's really awesome that you're really, really open oh. about the experience and sharing so people can like learn and sure, uh, yeah. yeah and it was yeah super interesting so i appreciate having you having you on the show today oh thanks for having me yeah and and then i would also just add uh, i didn't get to say before but Hannah is definitely one of the best songwriters in tucson so everybody yeah. check her, her music out and what's your yeah. uh, what's your link again? Yeah, let's plug do the plugs. Um, I have a Bandcamp and a Spotify. I guess you could do Hana dot Yun slash band. I don't know, whatever, whatever the yeah. Bandcamp. <laughs> well, how yeah. Do you, how do you? We spell, can link it. How do you spell Yun? It's Y E U N. Got it. Perfect. Cool. We could link that. Maybe we can even. Um, as the outro, play one of your songs or something. Cool, yeah. If you're up for it. Sure, of course. Cool. Okay. All right. All right. Rocking. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Risa, how, how do we end an interview? How do we do this? Goodbye. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, well. Over and out. (laughs) Thank you so much.
Ma 